Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having a good week if the football or the weather or Hannah Gadsby's Nanette on Netflix have been helping you get through, I'm very glad or if those things aren't working for you, hold tight there's always next week Just a reminder, we have a live show coming up as part of the London Podcast Festival on September the 15th, um, where I will be joined by No Such Thing as a Fish's Andrew Hunter-Murray and Throwing Shades' Erin Gibson. Tickets are available now from the King's Place website, so head there for more information on our show and the festival as well. As ever, we have another brilliant and honest guest for you this week. If you are enjoying the show, please do rate and review or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. It really helps other people find the show and means that I get to keep making them. If you've done that already, thank you so, so much. I know I ask you every week, so thank you for doing it. Um, Have a magnum as a present. Um, I like the double raspberry, but can I give you a tip? Avoid the praline. It's like a crap feast. Just Just top tips to help you through the grieving process. This week, I'm talking to stand-up and writer Meryl O'Rourke. Meryl has supported Frankie Boyle on tour. She's also a gag writer for various panel shows on BBC and Channel 4 and Dave. And she's had her own comedy series on Radio 4's Woman's Hour. Meryl came in to talk to me about her parents, her dad, who died when she was seven of a heart attack, and her mum, who died when she was 24, also of heart problems. Welcome. 
welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with stand-up and writer Meryl O'Rourke. Thank Hello. you for coming in. Um, how long have you been doing stand-up for? I've been doing it for so long that I have actually stopped remembering. Oh, that's nice. Um, that's nice. See, this is the thing. I get different reactions. You're saying yeah. nice. Yeah. And some people go, oh my God, and you're still not famous, so why? Oh, no, because that, the idea of... That you only do comedy to get famous. Like, no one starts in comedy. Do they? To just get famous? I think some people do. Well, they are crazy. (laughs) It's too hard. You do it because you like doing it. I guess. And that's the thing for me is it's a job. It's my job. It's almost like the office. So I do get quite amused by every now and then you get a gig where they say, we can't pay you much, but there's a bottle of beer. And you're going, I do this as a career and I need to feed my children. Yeah. Uh, so I've been, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. And it's also one of those odd jobs in that uh, every year something will happen which makes you go, that's it, I've cracked it now. <laughs> I can pay all the bills. Yeah. And then that will always go wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you just keep this, this momentum of constant hope. I always think, because I, I do a lot of improv and I teach yes. improv as well. And I always say to them, if ever you think you've got it, that's when you're going to fall off the surfboard. Like, it's like, so, like, whenever someone's like, I think I really get it now. Like, I think I don't need to do any classes or I don't need to ever read another book. I'm just really good at it. And then you're like, yeah, have a good next show. Mm. It's like with comedy, it's like you sort of have to always keep kind of thinking, okay, how can I do this? Or how can I do, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, keep reinventing. I'm still yeah. learning stuff all the time. Yeah, and I, I think that's so nice because it is your job. So imagine if you, like, some of those people are like, oh, I don't need to learn anything. I'm like... That must be really boring then, that you just go yeah. and do your job and that's it. Like, to me, it's like, God. I guess, and I find the theory interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I teach comedy writing and I was raised with a comedy-obsessive mother. Oh, wow. So, so my references, she wrote a book about music hall when I was six. So my references go from Mari Lloyd. I went <gasps> to see Morecambe and Wise when I was seven or something. Wow. So, so I have all of those references in the back of my head. So I almost yeah. feel like a kind of walking historian, really. Yeah. So you mentioned your mum there, but I know... Yes. So who are we remembering today? Um, I guess my mum. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost both my mum and my dad. Um, my dad died when I was seven, and he was very oh. ill from when I was four. And before that, he used to work quite heavy shifts, so he's a bit of a ghost in my life, just wow. generally. Um, what I did he die like he was of never around. He had a, a massive heart attack. And then was sort of sick um, after the... Yeah, he had a huge heart attack when I was four, wow. which I don't remember. I remember him being in hospital. Um, and then he died when I was seven. And that was, he used to phone my mum at 11 every day. He was housebound after his first heart attack. It was that bad. Mm. Um, he could he could change rooms once a day. Wow. So he could do a flight of stairs once a day. And he wasn't <laughs> allowed to walk anywhere out and about. Um, and on the day that he died, my mum phoned at 11 as usual and he didn't answer. And she said she knew. They'd always oh joked that God. the day he didn't answer, he would be dead. And she carried on with the day anyway. I had a trampoline class, um, so she didn't rush home. I think I think inside she was probably hoping yeah. that he was okay. But what was interesting about it, if not a bit grim, uh, was that the house was full of shopping of food that I liked. So loads of bottles of Ribena and loads of macaroni. And he wasn't allowed to walk. And he had obviously known that he was going to die because he had walked to the local shop and bought, not not done a usual shop, yeah, like not a yeah. range of things, but only bought my favourite things. Oh. Um, so that, that always freaks me out a bit that he'd known. So that shop, he definitely bought that shopping. Your mum hadn't bought it. No, she hadn't bought it. She hadn't so he'd gone, gone out that day to get Yeah, and stuff. some people say to me, well, maybe it was the other way around. He'd gone out shopping and that's what killed him. Yeah. But if he'd just gone out shopping, he'd have bought a range of different things. Yeah, he'd yeah. specifically just bought macaroni, sweet corn and Ribena. Um, so, and I guess because I hardly knew him, it's yeah. nice to know that his last thought was of me yeah yeah um so you're upstairs do you remember what like did your mum say stay upstairs or did you could you come downstairs went upstairs and my mum said it's all right I found him um and when she said found him I I mean we had been waiting he was so ill yeah yeah. that we we knew that he could die any minute um so I went downstairs and he was lying on the floor and so I, I have very vivid memories of that night. So you, 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 you remember would. seeing him lying there? I have a very strong memory anyway, mm. but I think things like that, 
I don't know, I would say, how can you not remember it? And then that's insulting to people who yeah, don't. Yeah, well, some people's brain chooses to block it out. I think yeah. I think you either block it out or you're like, it's seared into my memory forever. I have <laughs> the opposite. I, I remember things from when I was a baby. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, I have a, a very vivid memory, which some people say must be a hard thing to live with. I, I prefer it, I think. But yes, it means that you, I don't forget things. Yeah. And so did you go to the funeral of your dad? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh-huh. And then afterwards... Was your mum sort of, did you kind of grieve together or was it kind of like, let's put that aside, what kind of family atmosphere was there in terms of talking about it? Um, I guess we didn't really talk about it because he was so, he'd been so ill and he was, wasn't really present in my life. Mm. And I guess I felt very guilty that I wasn't more upset yeah. than I was. Um, I remember my mum, because my mum even used to sleep in the same room as me, she didn't wow. sleep in his room and I found letters later I mean that's one of the things that people don't prepare you for when your parents die is that when you clear out the house you will find letters and diaries and things like that Um, so when my mum died I found a letter that she'd written to him saying uh, I'm only staying with you because you're so ill and please don't ask me to sleep with you again. Oh, and wow. and one of the bad things about that as well is that you can't say to your mum, do you not think this is a bit unfair? Yeah. Like, at least give him a hug. Yeah. You know, how bad is it? Well, I guess you just don't... When you're a child, you just don't know. You don't know what that situation was like and the relationship between them. It's really hard. Like, I think your parents as their relationship, that romance or whatever, emotional connection, it's mm. very hard as a child to not... Yeah. And to understand, even though you're a grown-up, to not still be like, just get on, the pair of you. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, um, and especially when you're, when you're, I was pre-sexual when my dad died. Yeah. So the, the fact they didn't sleep with each other oh, yeah. meant nothing at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I remember the next day her crying because he used to wake us up by, we had this big stick to open some uh, windows and he used to tap on the door with a stick. Um, so she cried the next day. Um, oh, and also that was very creepy as well. Um, he died on a Tuesday, but the, the the coroner, like, I must, I don't know if I remember the details of this wrong, but what I remember is the coroner was away on holiday. Oh, God. So the ambulance couldn't take him away because he had to be announced officially as dead, which I still don't understand the processes of that. And it also it might be different now to 1978. Yeah. So he was in his bedroom for three days. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, who knows? Because they did things differently in the seventies, yes, as, as we yes. know from many <laughs> scandals that have come out. Like things were different back then. He was in his bedroom for three days, so that made life a bit. That made grieving difficult because you, I felt repulsion yeah. rather than sadness. Yeah, as a seven-year-old, that's very scary, and I can imagine it being very confusing because. What does dead, death mean to a seven-year-old anyway? Like, and if they're still yeah, there, you're like, yeah. well, he's still there, and he was ill before. I imagine he was kind of in a room anyway, and now he's still in a room anyway. Like, so yeah, but it's not. Yeah, all I felt was repulsion. I mean, I, I remember my mum asking me to kiss him goodbye on the night that we found him, not not later, and me just saying I can't. Yeah, it's too scary. And feeling guilty about that yeah. until until my mum died when I was twenty-four, and I kissed her goodbye. And instantly regretted it because her lips were hard and cold. Yeah. Um, so you can live with the... I mean, that's the thing, as you know from doing this podcast, there's so much regret in grief. Yeah, there. I think it takes time, that's what I'm still processing, to forgive yourself for stuff. Yeah. Especially when you were younger, because... You you were a kid. Like, what did you know? <laughs> you yeah. Didn't, didn't know what you were doing. You didn't... So, of course, as you know, you've got kids. You ask a seven-year-old to do something, of course, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's scary and weird. But that doesn't mean they didn't love that person or they, yeah. you know, because they just, I, there's lots of things I, I've said to myself, oh, my God, why did I do that? And I remember saying to my husband, telling this story, and he was like, you're 15. Like, that sounds like what any 15-year-old would have because they just didn't really understand what was going on. Yeah. You sort of have to look at your seven-year-old self and be like... You know, if you were looking after a seven-year-old and they said that, you wouldn't judge them. You'd be like, no, yeah, not at all. of course, yeah. Like, and actually, my daughter was the opposite. My daughter, who is 11 now, her great-grandmother died a couple of years ago. And they were very close. My daughter would go to their house quite often for the weekend. Um, and at the funeral, they had an open casket. Wow. And she really wanted to go over and say 
goodbye to Nenemu, which is what they called her. Um, and uh, and I very strongly advised her not to mm. and said, you know, I saw my mum in the casket and it's not the same. And you do feel bad because part of you wants to let your daughter grieve the way they want to, but part of you also has that motherly thing of, I know something you don't know. Yeah. I know what that's going to look like when you go over there. Yeah. And your current memories of, of your great-grandmother are the last time you saw her where she was off her mind on morphine <laughs> and was laughing yeah. and telling you she was going to come to your wedding and she was fine. And that's the memory I want you to have of her. Yeah. Did she go and look at her then? No, she didn't, she didn't in the end. Yeah. She, she took my advice. It's so hard. I mean, who knows? Because so many people have sat in that chair and said the same thing, like oh, I, I kissed them goodbye and I regret it, or I kissed them goodbye and I'm so glad I did it. Like, yeah, I think it's yeah. almost, you don't know, a bit like drugs. You don't, <laughs> you don't know till you've done it. So then you might go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's not good. But like, yeah, it's really, you just have to yeah, do whatever's right in the moment and trust yeah. maybe in a week you'll think, oh, I should have. But I can totally understand at seven being like, mm, that's really scary. Especially said he wasn't really part of your life, so yeah. And he, I never liked kissing him anyway because yeah. he had a beard and moustache. Oh so yeah, he always felt stubbly. Yeah, and horrible. Um, yeah. So I, I hope. And also, once you know, the also logical thing is that he's not going to know. He's dead yeah, now. Yeah. So um, unless unless you believe in 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 ghosts and afterlife and stuff, and I'm still not sure what I believe in, he wouldn't have known that I kissed him. Yeah, exactly. So so I guess it's pointless as well. Yeah, and it sounds more like I imagine your mum just being like. What? How do you? What do you tell? A, you know, like what do you tell a child? And in that day mm. and age, it would be like kiss them goodbye, and now they've gone away to heaven. Because mm. like, what resources were available at that time for dealing with? Yeah, telling your child their dad is dead in you know in on the floor. Yeah, because I have quite an interesting relationship to her being a single mother. Yeah, um, because she was a single mother in the eighties. Right. So it was 1978 when my dad died. So, you know, Thatcher kicked in a few years later when single mothers became very demonised yeah. and would be, you know, the, the scourge of all evil. Um, being a single mother who had not chosen that route, but she would still get demonised because people would never say to her, well, why are you on your own? Yeah. And that's not saying that anybody who got divorced deserved that yeah. in any way, but people would be extremely insensitive towards her I found some writing and found uh, a poem she'd written about the the next few years and about how um she had a boss who wouldn't give her any time off work for things for me because um she said that it was letting the side down to not be able to work because of your child oh my god um she oh god she that's just through, the 80s were so hard I know she would go through well it's quite interesting now having arguments with radical feminists online in the uh, of this feminist disunity that's happening now and I remember my mum coming across it my mum who was a, a very uh vocal and and campaigning feminist yeah. she she used to when i was older and i started working for lambeth council i was recognized as the little girl that was taken to council meetings and wow. protests uh because she campaigned for for child care for yeah. council workers and her boss was um what was known as a radical feminist in those days, which was a, if we start having children and we start complaining, then we're not equal. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I know now that, that feminism is not one thing. Feminism is lots of different branches. Yes, you can yeah, be yeah. a pro-child care feminist and an anti-child care feminist yeah. and you both have strong feminist arguments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's complicated. <laughs> like, it is. Again, it's the thing of like, just because we're all fighting for equality doesn't mean we all agree, which when you think about it, you could like that makes perfect well, yeah. sense and but, men don't yeah exactly exactly so men disagree constantly and it's yeah. not a thing no <laughs> yeah welcome to the patriarchy <laughs> um so so yeah your mum is then raising you by your by herself yeah did you have other family around not really um no i've oh. i've got no siblings my uh older uncle he moved to America when I was nine, so very shortly afterwards. And my younger uncle was um, 20 years younger than my mum, I oh, think. Wow. So I think he was at university at the time. Wow. Um, so no, not really. So it's just you and your mum kind of Yeah, my father was estranged from his family because wow. uh, he was a divorced Catholic. Um, I mean, that's another wow. nice thing happened after my mum died, actually, rather than after he died when I was going through all the things. I found some phone numbers and addresses of family in Ireland oh, wow. who I tentatively wrote to 
and there was a cousin, cousin Pat, who was an absolute darling, who hadn't spoken to my dad since he got divorced in 1962 and had wow. been told to regard him as dead and was thrilled to hear from me. Oh, God. And had all these really vivid memories of him as a child. And that was lovely as well because very few people know or remember my dad. Yeah. It's really... I have this. It's really hard <laughs> when somebody dies and you're young and you... I think people, it's hard to explain, like, the obsession with the memories. Because like, I don't know if you have it. Mm. I don't I don't have him to ask. So, yeah, like, if there's a photo or a story, I, like, I feel like I want to eat that up. I'm like, <laughs> yes. you, you knew them at school? Like, tell me, yes, what happened? Yes, like, Because yes. you're just, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, information. Because it becomes, and especially, you're the same as me, we're, like, analogue grievers. We can't Google them. We can't find any <laughs> digital yes. pictures of them. So you're just, like, it's it's left in, like, it's like being a fucking cave woman. You're, like, it's left in a person, in an island. You have to seek them and then hope they will talk to you because there's sometimes with family... They still, even if you're like, hi, I'm this person. Well, other members of his family told me not to contact her. Wow. They said she's an old lady, don't bother her. Um, which is actually why I've fallen out with his sister, because I did bother her and she didn't mind me bothering her. Yeah, and yeah. I went to visit her loads of times. She was, she was a lovely lady. Oh, that must have been so nice for you to like, and to for them to become a person again. Because like you said, when you're a kid, they're just that yes. man who's ill and then they're dead. Like, okay. Yeah, and so few people knew him. Yeah. Um, uh, I did an Edinburgh show about my mum and uh, coincidentally at Edinburgh at the same time was our, the rabbi that I grew up with. I was I was raised Jewish, which is another reason that my father's uh, Catholic family yeah. wasn't amused. Um, my rabbi was Rabbi Julia Neuberger, who was the first female rabbi in the world. So she's now uh, gone on to become a baroness wow. and she was at the book festival. Um, and so I found her at the book festival. I'd not seen her since I was about probably about 12 or 13. And I said, look, I'm doing this show about mum. And I knew she could handle the swearing. I remember I remember her very well. In fact, we weren't particularly religious. My mum started going back to synagogue when she was our rabbi, for, kind of as a feminist statement. Oh, almost. Wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she had taken my father's funeral. Wow. And uh, so I'm in the middle of my show and she's sitting in the front row and I've got photos of my family to make it clear who I'm talking about. And there's a very quick bit where I say, this is my dad and I dismiss him out of the show just so people realise why I'm not talking about him. And I notice her looking at him and nodding and realising I'm in a room with somebody who remembered my dad, oh, which is so unusual yeah. for me, so unusual. And that was a real moment in the show where I thought, Oh God, I might cry. Yeah, and that's just and and I just I think I might have actually stopped then and explained to the rest of the audience who Julia was. Yeah, because I did kind of go, oh, <laughs> yeah, you took his funeral, didn't you? Yeah, especially when you're a kid and like you said, you don't have siblings. It's it, it's mm. it becomes people. I think that's the thing I've had. People don't realise how important they are in sort of your history so they might be like oh yeah I knew and you're like no you're the person the yes. only person I have who can tell me a school thing and I've got someone over here who can tell me a job thing like yeah. they, they don't realize that they're like jewels in your little jigsaw you're trying to make of who that person was because you don't have them to ask my older uncle has one anecdote about my dad which consists of a vaguely racist joke <laughs> and he t he came to visit two weeks ago and I was like please Klaus not this again I don't want the only thing about my dad that I know to be a vaguely racist joke please welcome to the past <laughs> Welcome to the past where all your relatives you're like, oh hang on a minute oh hang on a minute, where's this anecdote going? Uh -huh. Uh oh. So your mum dies when you're twenty-four. Twenty-four. So yes. what happened to your mum? How did she die? Uh she had uh, I can't remember the official word for it, uh which is odd because I said it on stage every night in the in the Edinburgh show. A cardiac Nope, it's gone. Uh, she had basically had a lump of stuff passed through her heart. Oh god. Uh, probably a lump of fat or something. Yeah. And um uh, her heart had grown very brittle with stress wow. and so it burst um so i do tend to say both my parents had heart attacks which is which is shorthand yeah but it, it's different to a heart attack yeah <clears throat> and i have very detailed knowledge of what happened as well because um during the process of her dying so when that happens um sorry to get forensic you can no, cut it out no, no, yeah. um you're you're internally bleeding Oh, so wow. basically over the course of a few days, your organs will shut down individually. Um, so it's really horrible. Yeah. It's really horrible to watch. And she got uh, brainstem death, which is when somebody is alive 
uh, but they look dead. They can't open their eyes or speak. Oh, my God. Um, and uh, I remember at one point she actually spoke to me and the doctor said, she can't have done, you must be making it up because she's got brainstem death. Um, and they said to me after she died, uh, we're studying brainstem death at the moment. She died at King's, which is opposite right. Maudsley. Yeah. Um, so can we give your mother an autopsy? And that was wonderful. I know some people have said to me that they couldn't think of anything worse, but actually it was wonderful for me because I, maybe because I was so alone as well. Mm. And I have memories and I, this feels like something that wouldn't have happened, but, but I have memories of speaking to the woman who did the autopsy almost every day. Mm. So definitely a few times we spoke. Yeah. And she was really lovely on the phone and she would say, Oh, I saw your mum this morning. I said, hello. Um, but what it meant was I had a very detailed picture yeah, of exactly what, what happened, happened to my mum. Wow. Uh, my, my uncles are both quite fat shamey and there was a lot of, well, she died because she was fat. And it was quite good being able to get an expert saying to me, she was nowhere near obese enough for it to yeah. affect her mortality. Yeah. Got, got it on paper. Official, mate. Stop fat shaming yeah, my mum. Yeah, nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. I can completely um, understand I completely understand wanting to do something like that too, especially if it's something unusual, like, you know, not unusual, but like they're saying to you, oh, well, well we're also, studying it and we're trying yeah. to work out. And you'd be like, well, maybe I can help. I do, I oh, do understand God. that. And I did. And, and even though these things aren't often on the news and, and I often feel my life can be a little bit Truman showy, you know, like my rabbi going on to become famous and things like that. Um, I was sitting at work about a year later in the staff room of H&M with the radio on and they said on the news that King's College had announced that they discovered that people who have brainstem death stay completely conscious up to the point where their heart stops. Wow. And previous to that, they had thought that they lose consciousness um, a long time before that. Oh my and God. so, and those medical discoveries aren't usually on the radio news. So it almost felt like somebody needed to tell me. Yeah, yeah. We found this out, and you were right when you told that doctor that your mother had just spoken to you. You weren't going mad. No, yeah. You were right, and she was wrong, and sucks boo. <laughs> yeah, but your mum did talk to you. How amazing! Yeah, the last thing she said to me was, "Don't forget to video my so-called life." <laughs> Yeah, it reminded I mean, her what? of me. It's, it's it was a it was what a woman. I love that show. <laughs> I know it's it was a series brilliant. about a teenager at school, and so she oh god, she it reminded her of me as a teenager at school. That show, if you have not seen, if you're like oh Claire Danes Homeland, no oh, no, yes. no 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 no, she started off in my so called life being <laughs> amazing, and it's also I won't hear a word said against Jared Le Jared, Jared Leto. Leto. Well, yeah, so people will slag him off online and go nope. No, my mother liked him. <laughs> Leave him alone. He was he was very good in that show. Before he was. before he went all strange, he was very good in that show. That show, it if you have an amazing show, they need to show it again. Yeah, it, it was brilliant. So many things. It was like the most nineties angsty, like yeah. what, Generation X. Like I mean, every episode I would watch and I would cry because I'd be like, my God, their life is so hard. Mm. But yeah, it was. She was very... unpopular, and she started going out with a popular girl. Yeah. So she was picked a popular guy. I mean, sorry, and she was picked on for that. And her best friend was a bit of a rebel who would smoke in the toilet. Yeah. And do you remember they also had a, a friend who was a teenage boy who was gay, and possibly now we would look upon him as possibly transgender yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was very very fey, very feminine. Yeah, it was very... I remember at the time thinking, like, well, this is a bit racy, this show. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to sit quietly in case someone goes, like, is she meant to be watching that? Um, so that was your... What an amazing woman. <laughs> that, I'm very proud of, proud of proud of that. Proud for her. <laughs> good on her. So you... She's in the hospital. Yeah. Did, when did you find out? Did they? Did you get a phone call just to say your mum's had a heart attack? No, or? she um, she collapsed on me, waking me up. Oh, uh, my I God. had... At the time, I was doing a political philosophy course. See, this is another thing, a bit similar to my dad buying the shopping just before he died. Um, I left school without doing any A-levels. I was a C-grade average. I remember I'd been to the Edinburgh Festival that year and somebody had called me a bimbo. And I had this feeling in the back of my head that I didn't think I was. Yeah. So I took a political philosophy A-level. And the last thing my mother did before she died was read the essay I'd stayed up all night writing oh. about Robert Nozick's theory of libertarianism, uh, which I went on to get an A in. Um, and so, yeah, I had been up all night writing and she had to wake me up at 11 to go to my uh, class. 
and she had been to the osteopath and she came up and woke me up by by collapsing on the end of my bed, by collapsing on my legs oh my and God. saying the osteopath's done something. And that was the other reason that the autopsy was so important yeah. was because right up until the point she died, she kept saying the osteopath's done something. And I had phoned the osteopath to say, what have you done? Yeah, what happened? Um, which was nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah. And if anything, what they might have done, unfortunately, was by freeing up her body, hastened this piece of yeah. fat that was going around her cir- circulatory yeah, system. Yeah. But, you know, obviously not his fault. But unfortunately, this lovely man, this osteopath, when he phoned me later and I had to say she's died, completely fell to pieces. Oh, he, God, he couldn't yeah. work for weeks. So getting the autopsy was also, right, there is nothing wrong with the nerves yeah, in her back. There is nothing broken. Anything. There is nothing snapped. Yeah. There is nothing interfering with anything, uh, which was important for me, but also for him. Yeah, God, yeah. Um, oh, I mean, God. you know, autopsies are not usually available to anybody that's, that, that hasn't died in, a, in difficult circumstances, yeah. but I recommend them. <laughs> they're, they're, they're really yeah, useful. I can understand that. I guess especially when when someone's just died and it is such a confusion and what happened and, and for someone to be like, this is exact... Because I still... Yeah. I, we're still like, oh, we think... You know, it was pancre- pancreatic cancer, but... Oh, God, that's awful. Yeah. That's what my, my daughter's great-grandmother had. Oh, it's horrible. But mm-hmm. as you know, not, probably know from your situation, there, it, it turns up somewhere else. So he had secondary yes. liver cancer. So, but yeah, be my mum said that, like, it would be interesting to... Yeah, to, we only had there because it, he went yellow. So like, oh, it's liver. Oh no, right. okay, hang on. We've looked. We think it's pancreas. But who knows? Could have been all sorts of. Could have been everywhere. And towards the end as well, we, you know, it seemed to have spread in all different places. And mm. yeah, I'm sure an autopsy is like a bit like like a report, isn't it? It's like yeah. So what happened here? Okay, great. And in the midst of chaos that grief is, it must have been quite comforting. I guess so. Yeah. To have it something made it less chaotic. Yeah. To yes. be like, this is what happened, and you'd be like, right? Because I imagine if you hadn't had that. You might have blamed the osteopath. Yeah. You might have thought, or oh, it was her weight, and all those things could have been ticking your brain for years of like, oh, mm. so this man killed her, rather than being like, no, <laughs> that's guess, not what happened. Yeah. Also, I'm I'm somebody I'm very I'm very obsessed with facts. Mm. I, I, I find it very difficult to allow any vagueness in my life. <laughs> I like I like to know exactly what is happening yeah, all yeah. of the time. So especially for somebody like me, it's perfect. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was a great great help. So she was ill for. What did you say? A she of days. she wasn't ill. Well, um, sorry, dying. For a well, yeah, of days, I mean yeah. that's that's the thing because uh, I've heard you talk before about um, your attitude to cancer because you've lost so many people to yeah, cancer yeah. that you find it terrifying. Oh god! Yeah. Um, and having you know knowing what I know about pancreatic cancer, I can see why. My mother had had cancer five times and kicked it five times. Oh. So I'm actually the opposite to you. When yeah. people say cancer to me, I'm like, hey, you'll get you'll it cut fine. out. You'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> um, it's so funny. Whatever your evidence is, yes. <laughs> someone says cancer, I'm like. You're gonna die. Like yeah. I find it really Send them hard. To me. Yeah, and I'll yeah, be like, exactly. yeah, just snip it out. Fine. <laughs> um, so she and she actually hadn't been ill. She was the healthiest she had been in wow. years. Um, she'd just had a hysterectomy. We'd been to the Edinburgh Festival. She'd actually got herself a part-time job at the Edinburgh Festival wow. and was climbing up and down all of the hills. Um, and it was interesting. I was very religious at the time that she died, and I lost my faith at the point that she died because she was the happiest she had been Mm. for all of my adult life. She had just started going out socially with friends. Um, So it seemed particularly cruel. Um, And yes, so she just collapsed on my legs, uh, was collapsing all over the house. I was trying to call various people. It's weird. I didn't think to call an ambulance. It wasn't until I called her GP. They said, call an ambulance for God's sake. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but you're 24 as well. Again, like that is and she's also young. lying there going, it was the osteopath. It was the osteopath. Yes. It was the osteopath. So you think, oh god, I've got to get her back to like the osteopath or something. Like, yeah, mm. exactly. Of course she's and yeah, if she's talking to you, she's not collapse, collapse. You know. Well, that's the thing. She she kept. I mean, we had such a turbulent relationship because you know it'd been me and her for 24 years. Mm. Um, and so she was, I kept saying to her, just lie down, stop moving. Mm. Because every time she moved, she fell down the stairs because she was trying to walk down the stairs. Oh, God. Um, and I ended up snapping at her and shouting at her, which took me a long time to forgive myself for. But I just, every time she moved, she fell over. She oh, was, you're just panicking, aren't her you? Her body just, was yeah. shutting down various, oh, you know, like, like I say, I don't, I don't want to repulse people too much. But, but the things were happening to her body that happen when your body shuts down. Um... I remember my uncle, 
my, my younger uncle came to the house and he was the person that cleared up the bathroom. Because, oh. um, yeah, I don't know how I would have been able to do that. And actually that's something I've never really thought about properly before. It's because I'm going through it yeah, in an itemised yeah. way with you. So I need, I need to, I'll probably text him after this and thank him for that. <laughs> yeah. That must have been a really awful, horrible job. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and, what, then, and then the ambulance arrived and we have a really weird house in that it was built, there's a room on every floor, so there's loads of stairs. These two really young girls and my overweight mother who didn't want to go to King's as well. We had this family thing of being frightened of King's, I don't know why. Um... Because at the time, everybody we knew who'd gone to King's had died. And then, of course, my mother didn't change that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't make anyone feel better about King's. Bless them. Uh, but luckily, I've, I've had, a ver- had a very nice uh, birth experience there. So I'm over that. Them, um, she, she started gripping hold of the front door, not allowing these two young ambulance women to, to, oh to drag her into God. the ambulance. So she's having a heart attack, but she's also gripping hold of the front door going, no, I'm not going. And they're trying to unpeel her fingers. Meryl, that must be so <laughs> stressful. I can't even imagine. Like, and I know that mother-daughter, like when a mother decides she's Mom. not doing anything, you're like, put you please. Like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing even while you're dying, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god those girls must have just been like we got to get this lady to hospital like what do we yeah. do and so I said to my mum she said I want to go to St Thomas's said it's too far I said I said to her I will take you to St Thomas's once they found out what's wrong yeah and yeah. of course I never did and that was another thing um you get these little little quirky acts of kindness when someone's yeah. died that um when I phoned the funeral parlor and they said we'll pick her up from King's and we'll bring her over I said look can you do something a bit odd can you take us to St Thomas's on the way? Wow. Because, I don't know, the promises you make a dying yeah, person. Of course, it's of like course. I still have all of my so-called life on video. <sighs> like, not on DVD, on video, they're still there. Yeah. Uh, and St Thomas's said, do you know what? We've got an empty space in the morgue, so you can come. And I had to pay extra for it, but you don't care at the time. So mum spent the night... After she died, she spent the night in St. Thomas's morgue because I had promised her that. I completely understand that. I completely understand why you would do that. And I think it's strangely beautiful that you did that and that they let you do that. Like, uh, that yeah, they understood. That they let, yes. That they weren't like, what? No. That they were like, yeah, we get it. You said it, of course. And we've got the space and we can do it. Like, yeah. So she wasn't at Stick King. She went to St. Thomas's. Like, mm. I've got other friends. My my best friend, her mum died a week later in a horrible coincidence. Oh, God. Um, and the last thing her mother had said was, um, I really need a change of underwear. Can you get me some clean underwear? And so she made sure that, that her mother was wearing clean underwear for the funeral. Yeah, of course. Of and course. I, there are some cultures in where if you say things to a dying person, they're considered you know, huge omens. Yeah. So I don't think that's an unusual feeling. No, no, not at all, not at all. But I think it's, yeah, I can just understand being like, making that call and being like, I know this is a bit odd. (laughs) Hear me out. Yeah. (laughs) This is what I need, I need to happen. I think that's, yeah, you just, sometimes some things have just got to be done, haven't they? But we did, I can't remember, I gave my friend a code question because I had loads of friends helping me because I had just, I was on my own. And at 24 as well, like that is... You don't really know what's going on at 24, do you know no, what I mean? No, I still lived with my mum. I just got out of college. Oh, I've never God. been a particularly popular person, so I didn't have many people around me. Oh, um, no. Well, I say that, but actually that week I had loads of people around me. My friend Emily, who was ill herself, I gave her... Because that's the other thing you always... I mean, you probably do this as well. When a friend loses someone, well, the first thing I say to them is, you're going to have a lot of admin. Yep. You will be yes. shocked by how much admin. If oh, you need me to help, yeah. I will make phone calls for you. God, yeah, the amount of admin. Um, yeah. And what you need are friends who understand that and don't yeah. want to just make you cups of tea and hold your hand. Mm. Um, so Emily was fantastic and she had the job of phoning around funeral parlours. And I, I gave her a question. I can't remember what it was. I think it was something like, my teddy bear wants to come to the funeral as well. It was some quirky thing. Yeah. And I said to her, find someone who will put up with my quirks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> <laughs> who isn't going to go, what? Yeah, exactly. Sure. How many teddy bears? <laughs> do yeah, they, do exactly. they need a car? 
Like, that that was that was her job, and I remember her on the phone to the first one, just shaking her head at me like, "No, <laughs> this not guy, going with this." He is not down with what we're doing. <laughs> he is not happy about it. Oh my god, that's a good. That's a nice little tip, actually. If you are someone that isn't going to want something traditional to be, because you yeah. and you know funeral directors, like you're going to spend an intense amount of time with them, very yes. obviously very quickly, and so yeah, you do want someone that's not going to make you frustrated or annoyed or and when you're at your most vulnerable anyway so yeah find, yeah find a good fit and I guess you learn I mean that's the other thing with my mother being not the first death in my family so you learn things from going to other funerals yeah. my, my, my my great aunt who um was Jewish and her her husband worked in a doctor's practice that there were all Jews and Muslims and there were crucifixes all over the funeral and we had to go around and take all the crucifixes off and then the caterers had made ham sandwiches and sausage rolls we had to clear all that so you learn these things you go okay that's a pitfall that's a pitfall yeah yeah you definitely like yeah oh don't don't go there that yeah yeah, that crematorium's a bit horrible (laughs) like yeah i know you get a bit i have genuinely walked into some crematoriums being like what's a nice one nice like what they've done here like because some of them are so grim when they make an effort you think oh lovely so you're kind of by yourself at this point yes I guess what I was wondering is like you've organized a funeral you've had these friends come around what happens that sort of six months afterwards when everything's calm and you're kind of by like you must have felt it's just very young it wasn't as long as six months um well I was very conscious of the fact when she died that I couldn't be on my own I don't Mm. know why Oh, um, so you're, it's the ultimate on your own, I think, losing yeah. your parents. So I completely, yeah, like, so you don't want to be on your own again because that, I was, I was know. scared of what might happen yeah. and I made up a list of friends whose sofas I could sleep on. So for two weeks oh. I was sofa surfing, um, despite the fact I had this house that I could have been in. Um, and I remember, a do- I remember my first friend who I, who I slept on her sofa calling her doctor and me just saying right I need a doctor and I need some sleeping pills and him just going okay and then not being any kind of hang on a minute maybe I should welcome be diagnosing to, you welcome to the past again guys I, I, I became incredibly organised wow yeah um, which I actually am very good in a crisis yeah I'm rubbish at small <laughs> things an yeah. online argument I'll be crying over for days <laughs> I don't know if this is early death thing because I am amazing in a crisis because mm. I have anxiety so like I'm me all, too yeah so we're always prepared for emergencies I guess yeah, yeah. maybe it, maybe that feels like normality yeah this is what I've been building up for the I worst read, thing in my yeah. life I read this book I think it's called The Worry Cure which is very good for anxiety just sort of breaks it down but he said like the, one of the problems with anxiety is when something bad does happen people with anxiety are amazing like yes. if they see a car accident <laughs> they'll go over they'll sort it out they read mm. because we, we've been expecting this this is like what we've been waiting for I guess but like the problem is is you keep that feeling day to day when nothing emergent you know nothing what's the word nothing high stakes is happening but you're keeping that level of like you know uh, mm. adrenaline going so it's mm. about trying to manage the days when there isn't a car accident <laughs> yes, in front of yeah. you but yeah he said that's some problem with people with anxiety is like because they've had a very successful sort of something's happened it's been the emergency and they've been brilliant they're like well maybe this anxiety is not so bad <laughs> like, I guess maybe it kind of it was kind of useful at that time and you're trying to when you're trying to help people cope with you like it was useful in front of the car accident but it's not useful at three o'clock in the morning when actually nothing's happening so yeah I'm mm. great in a crisis Jesus mm. something kicks Me off well. I'm very calm and I'm very like yeah I can just cope with it but yeah like it's having that constant adrenaline is pretty tiring as, yeah. as you know <laughs> yeah as yeah. you know so yeah you're so for surfing for a two weeks, weeks. And, and that kept like I remember once well the other thing is I just got into comedy Wow. Uh, well, I just got yeah. into performing um, and I was running a little club and so just got into comedy. We'd been comedy fans for the whole of my life. Yes, yeah, so you said your mum um, was like comedy obsessive. So that's yeah. where it comes from for you. you think? Yes. Yeah. I almost I really resisted going into it because I almost felt like she was kind of saying, do this, do this. Oh, wow. um, but then I, always, I did feel very at home once I started. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I started going to comedy clubs for two reasons. One was because they were they were my social group yeah. that was the only way to see my friends and i remember turning up at the comedy cafe there were a couple of women on the circuit who were bullying me at the time um because it's not always it's it's a very very lovely place to work and out of the places i've worked but it's not always lovely as ever, um, yeah and there was a big thing about what on earth are you doing here you should be at home because like because you were grieving yeah Oh, oh look, I love look, look at her out here trying to i love trying people's to flirt with the judgments on it like yeah 
Well, you, I was you I was come 24 back to me when it's happened to you at 24 and exactly. tell me what you would do. Like I was 24 and I was pretty and we're in a male dominated um job so when you're 24 and pretty and you're with men all the time and and now I think I mean this was quite a long time ago now I think the comedy circuit is is far more used to attractive women yeah I mean one of my big regrets on the circuit is that when I was young and attractive (laughs) people kept saying you can't be funny and attractive now that everybody's saying you can be I am too old and unattractive To get the jobs. It. <laughs> exactly. Twenty-four year old. My God, yeah. Twenty-four year old comedy. So there was a bit of an air of, oh, she's here trying to pull yeah. fellas and her mum's just died. Whereas actually there were two things. Well, actually three things. One was these were my social group. Secondly, I felt the need to scream mm. and laughing was the closest thing I could do publicly. Yeah, yeah. And thirdly, I did actually I've always been I've always had a very strong sexual energy and I did actually crave physical affection at the time and I oddly um about five ex-boyfriends turned up when my mum died um a couple of them like out of the woodwork people I hadn't heard from I mean I I I ostensibly am an atheist and I officially don't believe in anything but no the week my mum died her energy was pulling people into yeah. my life. There, there was a guy I was very much in love with. We had a very on and off relationship. I never had his phone number because he was living with someone else. And he phoned me on the day that she died. Wow. And I hadn't heard from him for six months and he had no way of knowing what had happened. God. So, but also I, I I was on my own in a house with a woman who, she'd been very cuddly because it was just us two. And suddenly I was lacking physical affection and I started seeing a couple of my ex-boyfriends. And it's a difficult thing to talk about because people are like, oh, God, what an awful way to express your grief. No, I don't think But actually... Yeah, I completely understand. They weren't new people. I wasn't going out on the pool. They were trusted people. But but I needed to be held and kissed. And and also, I've heard recently, apparently there is something... Uh, genetic in you that when people die you want to create new life Mm, yeah yes I've Um, read that theory as well that's why often a baby suddenly appears yes yeah you're in a relationship and someone dies then it's like we've got to make life because there's death is near us and I think there's Mm. something in you like that cave cave person it's like like yes make a baby out of this we don't want to die well also I was very aware of the fact that I was 24 and I hadn't given my mother grandchildren yeah oh god Um, yeah my my brain, I was completely obsessed in the few days after she died with who I was going to find. And, and I remember when she was in the hospital dying for two days because I panicked. I absolutely lost my mind in the hospital. I was, was doing quite odd things. One of the things I did was I phoned a friend who'd had a baby. And I said, can you bring the baby? Because I want my mum to see me holding a baby. Because my brain was just brainstorming this yeah, situation. What should I do? What should I do? Yeah. I want her to see me holding a baby before yeah. she died. And God knows what was going like. Either my mother was thinking, why are you doing this? Or maybe she was so insane with, with blood loss at the time that she might have gone, that's my daughter with her baby. Yeah. Um, but I, can't, I understand that. I really do. Like, somebody dying is really f- fucking mental. And especially, <laughs> like, it's a mad time. You've lost your dad. You're 24. Like, what the fuck does anyone know at 24? Like, and no offence to the 24 year olds listening, but... It is young. It's still young. I find that difficult because people are quite. People often behave as if I was a child, and I wasn't adult. No, yeah, I don't think. You know. I don't mean it's child. I just mean like I would make if. So I'm in my thirties. <laughs> I would make different choices now than if you'd met me in my twenties. Yeah. I would have done things that I would have sworn blind were the right thing to do, and now I go, God, I'm glad I'm not being asked that question now. <laughs> like again, like you said, like if that happened to me, I think. It's not that you're a child, it's just being further away from that time. You can yeah. be like, oh, you well, are, also, you're still, it's still young. When someone dies at 24, you think, oh, they haven't begun their life really. Mm. So I think like saying like, it's not, it's not the same as like 15 or seven, but it's equally not the same as 55 or 60. It's like, yeah, yeah you're, you're still figuring a lot out about who you are. Well, especially I was in a very transitional place. So yeah, I wasn't in a yeah. relationship and I had recently left drama school and recently started on the comedy circuit. Yeah, yeah. So I, I very much didn't know who I was. Yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely didn't know who I was till about, 
I'd say 29. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it takes a long time. I think it's interesting as well that you're saying you went to the comedy. I think it's really interesting mm. what you're saying. I mean, one, it must be because that's something that reminded you of your mum as well. That she was so into comedy. Yes, I think so. And possibly. that must have been somewhere you knew she would have liked to have been. Well, I remember the first person, I put this online recently, the first person who gave me a proper hug after my mum died was Stuart Lee. Wow. Who I can't say I knew. I yeah. knew him on the circuit. I put I put it online and... And it went viral because people were going, I knew he was the best person in the world. <laughs> and I actually had to delete it because people were getting ridiculous about it. Yeah, like, like, you know, he, he is a 100% angel. And you're yeah, going, like, he's probably done other things. This yeah, is one moment like, 20 years ago. Yeah, he just kind of was nice and gave me a hug. Like, that's yeah. what we all, that's it not was, angel behaviour. It was more behavior. than that. He, well, no, he also, he, he, he took me back to his, this sounds awful when you say took me back to his flat, but, but in a very kind platonic way we went back to his flat he made me beans on toast and he said to me okay let's let's write the eulogy it must have been quite late on it must have been a few days in because I I started to realize I was going to have to take my mum's funeral because our rabbi was on holiday Julia was doing some kind of book tour or something um, and my mother's childhood rabbi was very ill himself so I remember Stuart sitting me down and asking me lots of quite practical questions about my mum's life wow. and us making notes. That is, um, I mean, he might be an angel. Now you've said that, <laughs> I take it back because that's really amazing. That's what you really need at that time. Yes, Beans on toast and someone to sit you down and go, right, this is what we're going to do and I'm going to help you do it. And I'm yeah. not going to fall to pieces so that you, yeah. I'm going to just not be like... I'm being strong. I'm just going to be strong without having to shout in your face that I'm being strong. I think he, I now I, think I he guess. might be an angel. Sorry. <laughs> I um, needed a lot of very practical people. Yeah, around well, of course, me. Like, they're the people I remember. Twenty-four, like the most fondly. You know, like I said, you and your life up to that point. I imagine your mum had sorted out a lot of stuff. Like you know, oh, God, the yeah. adult things that you have to be aware of. You're just not aware of at twenty-four. I think. Well. So some people are, but well, yeah. I have a story in, in my Edinburgh show. It's actually how the show ends, so I'm going to spoiler alert um, that uh, that she used to put money in my purse every day. Oh. So when I started going out on my own, I kept running out of money. Yeah, um, and there was one instance a few weeks after she died where I was out in the West End and uh, the tubes had stopped and I had completely run out of money and I didn't know how I was going to get home. Like, I didn't even have bus fare. And also, she was very... um, I had never been on a bus on my own because my mum drove me everywhere and insisted that I drive everywhere. Uh, She she was very nervous of the world. Um, And I actually bumped into, in the street, bumped into an ex-boyfriend who... um, it's a long story, but basically my mother had got us together by writing to him pretending to be me, uh, which was a big part of the Edinburgh show. Um, and I bumped into him in the street and he gave me the money to get home. And again, even though apparently I'm an atheist, I my mother's hand was in so much stuff. Yeah. Because the thing about my mum is that she would have sent me ex-boyfriends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it, I get she, it. You yeah. know, if, if family members had yeah. turned up, that would be standard. That's yeah. what people expect. My mum, and not only ex-boyfriends, but kind of my showbiz exes yeah. were the ones that kept turning up. <laughs> and that's what she would have done. Yeah. Get a man in your life. <laughs> she wouldn't have given you a five on the floor or a parking space no, if she sent you an ex-boyfriend. No, she would have sent me, a, a, he, was, he was a guy that was, he was a sitcom actor who was her favourite of my exes, the one that she was always disappointed. She used to say to me, what did you do? What did you do to put him off? <laughs> Thanks, Mum. Yeah. Classic, classic mum language there. Yeah. Right there. Hang on a minute. How's this my fault? <laughs> How did you do that? Oh, that's that's nice. That's nice that that's what your mum would do you know what I mean? Because I think it's nice when it's something that's so only you would have known. Like yeah. anyone with you would have been like, Oh, so you'd have bumped into a street, but you were standing there going, Thanks, Mum. It was it was a lovely ending to the show as well because um I wrote the show about my mum's quirks. About the the first half of the show was about her escaping from Nazi Germany, which she did as a four year old. Wow! Um, and the second half was about her stalking people and taking me stalking. Um, not actually. That's <laughs> I feel like we should have stalk- got that in at the beginning. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> that's some big information. Mel. It, it w- wasn't too well. I don't know that the 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 legal the legal uh, parameters of stalking. Yeah. We used to sit outside people's houses. 
um, at a time when I don't think I was old enough to realise that that probably is illegal. Um, And I'm very damning about it. You know, I make sure in the show that I say, I don't approve of this. Um, But this particular boyfriend who was an actor who um, she wrote a lot of letters to pretending to be me. uh, It was very difficult saying to him, I really want to write this story. Is it okay if I put this in the show? Yeah. but it was such a perfect story because it was such a perfect ending that telling the audience that my mother had died and taking it down to, you know, this 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 very sad bit of being able to end it by going, guess who turned up in the street? <laughs> and then having this call back to this yeah, weird, yeah. stalky relationship that she'd, <laughs> she'd got me into. She sounds amazing. <laughs> she sounds well, I tell stories about her now and people say she sounds amazing. But of course, when you're living with them, it's yeah. just, oh, mom. Yeah. God, yeah. can you stop doing this? Well, death is a fantastic reviewer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like once they're gone, you can say, oh, they were great. And I mean, I was saying this to my mum about my, my grandpa, who I recently found like um, a recording of him talking about his time as a prisoner of war in, um, okay. in Changi Jail. And he's an amazing storyteller. So when you hear him talk, you're like, oh, he was so great. Like, he could just, you're going to hear the way he controls an audience. He's got this really strong Welsh accent as well. So he sounds like, you know, like a real classic Welsh actor. And then that makes you forget all the other, you know, all the other, yeah. the actual stuff of a being a person. People, like yeah. you said, like Stuart Lee being an angel. It's like, everyone has really great moments in their life. But day to day, there may be other moments. <laughs> and when they die it's easy to remember some of the... So, of course, you telling me that stuff about your mum, like, I wasn't having to live with her or yes. go out and stalk. It sounds yeah. hilarious. <laughs> if I'd been doing stalking every day, I might have had some different opinions about it. So do and you... also, I, a lot of the things that people say are amazing about my mum were her struggles. And, yeah. of course, when you're living with someone who's struggling, it feels difficult. Of course, of course. And once they're dead, um, the struggle's over. So yeah. you can just... They become a story rather than... I mean, like, for instance, this this boss of hers... Who had who had disallowed her to take time off when her child was sick, um, was still her boss when she died, and wow. I had a request from somebody that she wants to come to the funeral. And I went, no way, I don't want that woman at the funeral. Wow. My mum hated her, and this guy said to me, um, he said the thing about your mum was she was so persuasive when she spoke yeah, that even yeah. if you disagreed with her, you were still fond of her. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still didn't want her at the funeral. But it was quite something as well. My mum had been in the library service for 40 years and her funeral was on a Saturday. And they actually sent a memo around to every Lambeth library saying if people want to take an extended lunch break, it will be ignored on this day. Um, And she was quite something in the library service. Uh, like I say, when I started working for Lambeth Town Planning and I was sitting with, I was deputy head of the women's group and I was sitting with the head of the women's group uh, in the canteen and she suddenly went, oh my God, Eva O'Rourke's here. Why would Eva O'Rourke be in this canteen? She's like my hero. And I sat there going, Lisa, what's my name? (laughs) And then Lisa went, oh my God, you're the little girl. You're the little girl at the council meetings that she used to take on stage to talk about, you know, what am I meant to do with this child if you won't allow me time off? Wow. And, and, and yeah, she st- my mum started the first ever uh, mother and baby library group because before, oh. before the 70s, children were thought to be disruptive and noisy in libraries. Oh my God, that's amazing because now... Yeah. They're the king of the libraries. Exactly. Like, it's so nice to take your kid to the library and they have it's just like one of the best things. And I can't imagine yeah. a world where they're not welcomed in because I grew up with yeah. you know, it being part of like, yeah, get them in, get them reading. And I have this photo of my mum at the first one of these and uh wow. she's looking incredibly serious. She always wore jeans and a black top. Um and I'm sitting between her legs and she's listening to um the local representative of women's lib because I've got the advert for it as well. So the the first mother and baby group was come and hear our speaker from Women's Lib. Um, And she was not what you'd think she'd look. She was this elderly lady who looks more WI than Women's Lib. And and it's quite interesting. I got into an argument online recently where somebody said that my mother didn't count as a feminist, one of those stupid, stupid arguments. Um, And I almost felt like just posting this photo. Going, look at this. (laughs) 1971, she started a mother and baby group and there's a speaker from Women's Lib, so shut up. Yeah. But also I think it's like when people say, oh, you're 24, you're a comedy club. It's like, 
I mean, it's such a cliche, but like, come and sit in my chair, walk in my yeah. shoes. Yeah. You don't, you don't know how you're going to feel. And don't judge my, who gets to say who's, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, that's I the was, trouble with online I, I, arguments. I mean, I think, I think why I started on that little anecdote was because I, I did end up kind of, <laughs> I ended up collapsing at the comedy store hanging out backstage at the comedy store and having a huge panic attack to the level that they thought I was having a heart attack. Oh, my God. Um, which I think has always always affected my bookings after that as well. <laughs> I was like, hey, she's the weird girl. Um, and ended up sleeping on the floor of a cashier who was working in the box office who didn't even know me. Oh, my God. And at that point, um, a few of my friends phoned my uncle and said, you're this girl's closest relative. She is not dealing with this well yeah. and she needs a parental figure. Uh, but unfortunately, my uncle's response, and, you know, he was dealing with grief the best he could as well, um, was to say to me, come and live with us. I'll send a skip round to the house. We'll clear out the house. And I was like, well, I'm organising a funeral, so mm. I can't go and live in Surrey. And this is my house where yeah, I live. Yeah. And I need my furniture. So I just carried on sofa surfing until... The day of the the day after the funeral, actually, because um, because a, a few people had travelled over from abroad for the funeral, so I had people in the house, and then yeah, the day after the funeral was the first time I was alone, and I spent the day. I didn't know what you was. I didn't know you were meant to leave the flowers at the cemetery. Well, it's very confusing, <laughs> isn't it? You can. Some people take them. I brought them all home. Yeah. And I spent the day sitting on the kitchen floor, cutting flowers and putting them into vases. Why not? Why and then not? just watched them all die yeah, that because is, I couldn't maintain them. That is the one problem. It's so not, <laughs> I really like the flowers, but my sister-in-law said that because when their, um, her mum, my mother-in-law died, there were some beautiful flowers and then slowly they just all died. Yeah. And it was like, I remember I went round clearing up some flowers because I thought I could see that... Um, my sister-in-law and my husband were just like, I can't cope with throwing away dead yeah. things right now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so these like they were like orange and curled, and I was like, should we empty that water and throw them away? <laughs> but yeah, you're all there's too much death, isn't it? But I think that's and, why and everyone was are confused as well because my mother had always been very vocal about the fact that she hated flowers. Oh wow! But the reason she hated flowers was because flowers are for funerals. So we were like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to have flowers at the funeral because this is the time she thought they'd be <laughs> <Yeah>. appropriate. <laughs> That makes sense. I, I'm with you. I would have given. I would have gone for flowers. If she thinks they're for funerals, then they're for funerals. That makes mm. sense. And I wanted it to look pretty as well. I mean, funerals. Yeah. Yeah. I, funerals are just as much for the people left behind. Oh yeah. I mean, like ninety percent for the people left behind, really. So, um, that was obviously a while ago. Yeah. Um, ninety-five. Wow. Wow. And do you feel? Like, how, how are you at the moment, shall we say? Because I know it changes so much. Like, you've got two kids now, like... Yeah. And so you've um, just hit, like, 23 years, I think that is, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I, I, yeah lose track. I mean, with my dad, it's ridiculous, because oh, I was yeah. 78. That's 40 years? 40 years. And I suppose you, you've died. spent the majority of your adult life without your parents, so it yeah. must seem very separate in a way. It does. My mum... My mum's very present... Um, it, you get this weird thing. Um, I mean, this is a very common feeling as well of of knowing that you have to get over the grief, but also feeling guilty about getting over the grief. Yeah, I don't even get. I think you just have to manage it. Yeah, they become like, this background person, yeah. and I often have memories like I'll remember doing something with my mum, and then realise that it was with my husband. Oh wow! Um, which <laughs> that's probably very Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> So, and also it depends what I'm doing. Like, I've recently been working on my old Edinburgh show again because we're trying to get it on the radio. So I have to cut it down from an hour to half an hour. Mm. So I've been going back and uh, working on it, rewriting it, working out which bits are still good. And also doing little bits more, little bit more research as well because there was this break in the show where I talked about uh, escaping the Holocaust and then I talked about her being obsessed with show business. And it always seemed a bit clunky as, mm. well, why? Why does A equal B? Yeah. Uh, and I know A doesn't have to equal B, but yeah. a few of the reviewers said this feels like two different shows. Um, so I did a bit more research into her childhood. And actually, you know, you get these light bulb moments. She had um, 
when she came over when she was four, she was put into an internment camp on the Isle of Man. Wow. Um, because uh, they lived on the coast and having a German family suddenly arrive and live on the coast was a bit scary for the locals. Mm. Um and on the Isle of Man, uh, they hadn't set up any schools or anything. So she's, she was basically on holiday. Yeah, she was a four-year-old yeah. at a seaside resort. And she went to the cinema almost every day. Wow. Which is when her obsession with show business kicked in. And she always talked about this. God, of course, because you don't, your life has been turned upside down. Yeah. But what, what distracts you? Hollywood. And at that yes. time, proper Hollywood. Well, like... yes. And her big thing was Carmen Miranda. Oh, wow. And she said that she used to pretend to be Spanish rather than German. Oh, wow. Um, because she had this accent and yeah. she also had an accent that would make people jump. And, you know, yeah. she was spat at in the street as a child. Um, refugees, you know, <laughs> they've never been welcome. Yeah. Uh, and, and so suddenly this glue, very recently, I went, oh, my God, if you've come from an incredibly racist situation where all you've grown up with is prejudice and being told that you don't belong where you are. And then you're told you've been saved yeah. and you're sitting in a cinema watching a foreign woman starring in a film. Looking beautiful. And that's the yeah. thing. When you're four and someone's wearing a hat made out of bananas, <laughs> that's that's the ideal. Oh, that's the dream right there. <laughs> of course, you're like, yeah. that's who I want to be. Banana hat lady. Exactly. Got it. Everyone's, I, everyone's smiling at her. She's singing and dancing. Yes. She's having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I complete. And I'm on the Isle of Man. No, thank you. <laughs> you want to be on Camaranda? That yeah, makes a yeah. lot of sense. Wow. And so she's been very present lately because I've been. Yeah. I've been reading a book about the Isle of Man in Turnies and, wow. and so thinking about her a lot more. Yeah. And also with my uncle visiting, who I only see really once a year. And they used to fight a lot. And um, I have a lot of negative memories of my aunt um, who never got on with my mum. They were like chalk and cheese. So my aunt arriving in the house was very kind of, oh, God, what if she says something bitchy about my mum? Yeah. And I said to my children as well, um, I've always taught you to be respectful to our relatives and to your elders and to be patient with them. And I do believe that. But if you're... If my aunt says anything about my mother, I will stand up for my mother. And both my children absolutely agreed. And my daughter said, we agree because we love Granny Eva. And for my daughter to say she loves somebody who died, I can't do the maths, but a long yeah. time before she was born. Yeah. That, that, that was really special. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And there you go. Isn't that funny? Like, you wanted your mum to see you with a baby, but like you said, it... It's not about when people go, it's not about them. It's about you. It isn't about your mum seeing you. It's about you seeing your daughter talk about your mum. Yes. Like that's actually. My daughter's very like my mum as well. Oh, wow. I mean, every now and then I go, are you reincarnation? <laughs> are you my mum? You want to get those my so-called life VHSs out and then see if she's like, I've seen this one. Yes. Yes. What? <laughs> That would be, that's when it gets freaky. Well, she sounds like an amazing woman. And you said her name was... A My mum, Eva. Eva O'Rourke. Mm -hmm. What a lady. <laughs> I think we should all watch My So-Called Life in honour and raise a cup of tea. Tea? Would that be suitable for Eva? No, coffee. Coffee. Lots of coffee. I actually buried her with her coffee cup. Oh. Well, get yourself a coffee, watch My So-Called Life and think of Eva. Meryl, thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Thank you. You can follow Meryl on Twitter at Meryl O'Rourke, where you can find all the information on her forthcoming gigs. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast or email us thegriefcast at gmail.com. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble and the show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And remember, you are not alone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.